Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Vanguard. It is good to see you in the house today. The day that I wrote this message, my devotions were the book of Ecclesiastes, the last part, into the book of Song of Solomon. I don't know if you ever read that book. Very interesting book. And in these two books, God said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Now, and you and I might say, well, those days are over, right? But I want you to know something. Do you know what the days of your youth are? I got news for you. You ain't getting any younger. The days of your youth are now. Now, granted, there is a literal interpretation of that, but there's also a metaphorical interpretation of that, and that is you're not getting any younger. These are the youngest days of your life, and we want to encourage you from God's word to remember the one that created you. Then in Song of Solomon, Solomon talks about pure love and the importance of pure love. And then I went into uh, Ezekiel chapter 15, and we're going to go through 15 to 19 today. We're going to consume five chapters of the Bible, so we're going to be like one of those jet skis that's just going to bounce across the water. We're not going to be able to dig into all of it, but we're going to talk today about how to be restored to the God who created you and how to be restored to a pure love because here's what we know about Israel and this is also what we know about us. Israel was excited to chase every God except their God. And Israel was excited to chase after becoming every nation except for the nation God had created them to be. Can you relate? I can relate. So many temptations. Well, look at there, look at there, look at there. And God says to us today, I want you to dial it back. I want you to focus on me. I want you not to try to be like all the other nations. I want you to be who I created you to be. And God wants to deal with that liminal space, that space between you and he. He wants to get closer to you today, and he wants to restore deeper real relationship with you. But you have to be willing You have to be willing to be honest about your own life. You have to be willing to take inventory of your own life. And it is so easy to take inventory of everybody else's life, right? But I want to invite you to take inventory of your life today. And I want to invite you to say to God, God, where I need to be restored to you, talk to me today. And I will say yes. Amen? Amen. Come on, amen? Pastor Colton, I don't know where you're at, but brother, can we give it up to Pastor Colton this morning? Wasn't that beautiful? I want to invite you to share the service today. Good morning, my nephew Noah Goad. It is good to see you online this morning. Uh, I want you to know that every Sunday this year, we have had somebody new visit this location and visit the other location as well every Sunday this year. 
And part of how that happens is people see it online and they go, huh, maybe I'll go check that out because they're shocked they didn't know you're a Christian, all right? Uh, And so share the service. Be a virtual evangelist. Share the service today. If you're watching online, we invite you to share the service as well. Let's jump into Ezekiel chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 today. Then this message came to me from the Lord. This is Ezekiel talking. Son of man, his favorite term to refer to himself. How does a grapevine compare to a tree? So what we're going to see today is a myriad of analogies. And what's interesting about Ezekiel, another way that he's like Jesus, Jesus often used parables, which are what? Human stories telling a heavenly message. And God's going to use Ezekiel in a similar way. There's going to be these earthly, physical stories, these analogies that he's going to talk to us about. But the whole point is he's trying to get to your heart and he's trying to get to my heart. Son of man, how does a grapevine compare to a tree? Is a vine's wood as useful as the wood of a tree? Can, it, can its wood be used for making things like pegs to hang up pots and pans? No. It can only be used for fuel, even as fuel, it burns too quickly. Vines are useless, both before and after being put into the fire. Now, there's an analogy coming. Stay with me, verse 6. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Jerusalem, my people, God says, they are those vines. They are those vines. Jesus said to me this morning in the Gospel of Matthew in my devotions that if you've lost your salt, you're not worth anything for me. If you've lost your godly flavor, you're no longer worth anything for this world. You're not bringing, you're not bringing the taste of God to a world that is tasteless. And God wants us to be his taste in the world. Go back to verse 6. The people are like these grapevines growing among the trees of the forest. Since they're useless, I've thrown them on the fire to be burned. And I'll see to it that if they escape from one fire, they'll fall into another. And when I turn against them, you'll know that I'm the Lord. And I'm going to make the land desolate. Why is this? Why? Because my people have been unfaithful to me. They've been unfaithful to me. The sovereign Lord has spoken. So how do you and I live restored to God, number one? Pretty simple. Be faithful to God alone. Be faithful to God alone. What other gods in your life are you worshiping? What other gods are you pursuing? In my devotions this morning in Matthew, Jesus said, you can't worship me and money. Take your pick. You can't worship both. You have to take a pick. And idols creep into all of our lives, including mine, And he's a jealous God. Do you know the analogy that God uses in the Old Testament, the same one that he uses in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5. God describes our relationship like a husband and wife relationship. And just as a wise husband or a wise wife would not want somebody else in that relationship, so God doesn't want anyone in your relationship with him. 
So one man and one woman is God's design. Now, I need to address this, even though this isn't in the passage. People say, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. If God's design is one woman and one man, why do we have polygamy in the Old Testament? We have polygamy in the Old Testament because it was a pagan custom that Abraham and Sarah brought with them from the land of paganism, and God allowed it in the Old Testament. But it was never God's design. God's design is clear in Genesis uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3. It is clear what he wanted to do with the world, and it is clear what humanity wanted to do with the world. And, And it's interesting to me, everybody wants God to be gracious and merciful, but then we want to indict him when he allows our creativity to rule in the world for a time. And polygamy was not God's idea. Polygamy was never God's plan for the universe, and it still is not God's plan. It's one woman, one man for a lifetime. That's God's plan because that plan is God's design to show us the relationship that he wants us to share with him. Now, marriage is this analogy to our relationship with God. And God is jealous for our affections. Look at Ezekiel 16. We're going to see this. Look at that title, Jerusalem, an unfaithful wife. Another message came to me from the Lord. And let me just say this. He's not picking on the women. It's it's so funny to me how people read the Bible and go, well, why didn't God say unfaithful husband? Because the church is who? The bride of Christ, okay? And let me just give you some encouragement. When you go to Proverbs, wisdom is a woman, okay? All right, so why do men always get left out of everything? That's how I feel. Just joking. Just joking. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable sins. Give her this message from the sovereign Lord. You're nothing but a Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. What he's saying here is you've continued to carry on these pagan traditions that I've asked you to stop. On the day you were born, no one cared about you. Your umbilical cord was not cut, and you were never washed, rubbed with salt, and wrapped in cloth. No one had the slightest interest in you. No one pitied you or cared for you. This is an analogy, okay? And on the day you were born, you were unwanted, dumped in a field, and left to die. But I came by and saw you there, helplessly kicking about in your own blood. And as you lay there, I said, live. Thank you, Lord. And I helped you to thrive. I want you to know that what we're going to read today is some of the most intimate language in the Bible. It is how God really feels about us. And it's not often that you get to read in the Old Testament how God feels about you. But this is how God feels about you. He came by when nobody else would pay attention to you. And he paid attention. I helped you to thrive like a plant in the field you grew up and you became a beautiful jewel. Thank you, Lord. Now, here we go. Your breasts became full and your body hair grew, but you were still naked. When I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love, so I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declare my marriage vows. I made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord, and you became, somebody say it, mine. Possessive pronouns are more important than personal pronouns. 
I bathed you and washed you off your blood. I rubbed fragrant oils on your skin. Thank you, Lord. I gave you expensive clothing of fine linen and silk, beautifully embroidered. Saddles, sandals made of fine goatskin leather. I've never had a pair of those, but I'm sure they're nice. I gave you lovely jewelry, bracelets, beautiful necklaces, a ring for your nose, earrings for your ears, and a lovely crown for your head. And so you're adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were made of fine linen and costly fabric and were beautifully embroidered. You ate the finest foods, choice flour, honey, olive oil, and, and became more beautiful than ever. Thank you, Lord. You look like a queen. So you were. Your fame soon spread throughout the world because of your beauty, and I dressed you in splendor uh, and perfected your beauty, says the Lord. Look at verse 15. But you thought your fame and beauty were your own. Well, that's convicting, isn't it? So you gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along. Your beauty was theirs for the asking, and you used the lovely things I gave you to make shrines for idols where you played the prostitute. Unbelievable. How could such a thing ever happen? You took the very jewels and the gold and the silver and the ornaments that I had given you and you made statues of men and worshipped them. This is adultery against me. I want to stop here just a second so, because I know that this may be the first time you ever read the book of Ezekiel. There's two things I want you to know. Number one, throughout the Bible, God refers to idolatry as adultery. So when you worship something other than him, in his mind, you are committing adultery against him. Okay, does that make sense? Second thing that I want you to realize, and you can check this because uh, I'm not a scientist, but studies show that the same part of your brain that is stimulated in worship is the same part of your brain that is stimulated in sex. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like God must have created all of this. And isn't it interesting that when we engage in physical adultery, we stop worshiping God spiritually. And I hear all these arguments, well, sexual sin is just another sin. It's like any other. Yes, it is. You're right. But it is the gateway that shuts down all of your desire to worship Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? And that's why Paul says in Corinthians, he says that sexual sin is like no other sin because it is a sin against your own body because, because your body is the temple. And what happens is when you sin against your body, you shut down your faculties and your ability to worship God. And sexual sin is so damaging to you because it kills your desire to worship Jesus. That is why God wants you to keep the fire in the fireplace. That's why God has the rules that he has for sexuality so that, you ready? So that your desire to worship him is your greatest desire. Look at verse 18. You use the um, beautifully embroidered clothes I gave you to dress your idols. Then you use my special oil and my incense to worship them. Imagine it. You set before them as a sacrifice the choice flour, oil, honey I'd given you, says the sovereign Lord. And then here we go. You took your sons and your daughters, the children you had born to me, and you sacrificed them to your gods. Was your prostitution not enough? See, what happens is 
Our sin can never just be our sin. It always affects other people's lives. Sin causes us to forget how good God has been to us. I want you to remember that. Sin causes us to forget how good God has been to us. Verse 21, lest you always slaughter my children. God wants you to know something. You gave birth to them, they're still his. No matter how they got here, they're his. No matter how you got here, you're his. Amen? Whether you know who your biological parents are or not, to God, you have the same worth and value. And all your years of adultery and detestable sin, you've not once remembered the days long ago when you lay naked in a field kicking about in your own blood. What sorrow awaits you, says the sovereign Lord. In addition to all your other wickedness, you built a pagan shrine and you put altars to idols in every town square. Drop down to verse 28. You've prostituted yourself with the Assyrians too. It seems you can never find enough new lovers. Israel chased after every god and nation except their god and the nation he gave them to be. And so my question that I want you to think about here, what is it in your life that you're chasing after that's killing your ability to worship God? What is it that, what lie, what temptation, what pursuit, what idol are you worshiping that's causing you and hindering you from worshiping him? Verse 30, what a sick heart you have, says the sovereign Lord. To do such things as these, acting like a shameless prostitute. You should build your pagan shrines on every street corner and your altars to idols in every square. In fact, you've been worse than a prostitute, so eager for sin that you've not even demanded payment. Yes, you're an adulterous wife who takes in strangers instead of her own husband. Prostitutes charge for their services, but not you. You give gifts to your lovers, bribing them to come and have sex with you. So you're the opposite of other prostitutes. You pay your lovers instead of their paying you. Now he's talking about his people. He's talking about Jerusalem here, but he, he's talking about his bride. Therefore, you prostitute, listen to this message from the Lord. I want you to drop down to verse 37. I will strip you naked in front of them so they can stare at you. I will punish you for your murder and adultery, and I will cover you with blood in my jealous fury. Then I'll give you to these many nations who are your lovers, and they'll destroy you. They'll knock down your pagan shrines and the altars to your idols. They'll strip you and take your beautiful jewels, leaving you stark naked. Remember, this is analogous. Verse 41, I will stop your prostitution and end your payments to your many lovers. Verse 43, but first, because you've not remembered your youth, there it is, but you've angered me by doing all these evil things, I'm going to fully repay you for all your sins, says the sovereign Lord. God gives us two options in this life. I want to stop here just a second so that you can catch up emotionally. 
Because when I was going through this last night, I was like, oh, blessed Lord Jesus, please help me with this one. And, and when I got done, I, I just felt the weight of this one, like the weight of this, the, the W-E-I-G-H-T and the W-A-I-T, the, the, the heavy weight. God wants us to understand that we have two options, and we talked about this last week. We can be a people known for repentance or known for our rebellion. And if we're known for our repentance, then he is going to shower us with unlimited grace, mercy, and forgiveness. If we want to be known for our rebellion, then he is going to shower us with his wrath and bring judgment. And either way, we're going to physically represent God. We are all built with the image of God inside of us. That's what the Bible teaches. And the reality is we get to decide whether we will be a vessel that will demonstrate God's grace or we will be a vessel that demonstrates God's wrath. The choice is ours. And what he's saying here is that Israel's decided that they don't want to be objects of grace. They want to do what they want to do. So then in these verses that follow, just want to point out to you in verse 46, your older sister was Samaria. Samaria. He's showing this analogy, building this familial analogy. And then drop down to verse 53. But someday I'm going to restore the fortunes of Sodom and Samaria. And I'm going to restore you too. I'm going to restore your whole family. Once I get their attention, look at verse 59. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to give you what you deserve. You say, why is he saying this? Because they won't, they won't seek repentance. They won't seek forgiveness. They won't seek mercy. And so the Lord says, since you won't seek me, I'm going to give you what you deserve. That's sobering. That's sobering. For you have taken your solemn vows lightly by breaking your covenant, yet I'm going to remember the covenant I made with you when you were young. I'm going to establish an everlasting covenant with you, and then you'll remember with shame and all the evil you've done. I'll make your sisters, Samaria and Sodom, uh, to be your daughters, and even though they're not part of our covenant, I'm going to reaffirm my covenant with you, and you're going to know that I am the Lord. You're going to remember your sins and cover your mouth in silent shame. And when I forgive you of all that you have done, I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So let me give you a sum up of this chapter because it's a lot. There's four things. Number one, God is jealous for our worship and affection. He's jealous. He's so jealous that he ain't going to stop. Number two, God judges our sinfulness. God judges our sinfulness. Number three, thank you, Lord, God forgives our iniquities. He's jealous for us. He's going to judge us when we don't come to him because he wants us to come back, and he's going to forgive us. And number four, God restores his covenant relationship with us. So receive it. So how do we live restored? Number two, receive God's forgiveness for your past sin. Receive God's forgiveness for your past sin. Every one of us have something that we're tempted to beat ourselves up for, right? Every one of us go, oh, my goodness, back in, you know, 1994, on the 13th day of June, you know, or whatever. 
And I want you to understand that, that whatever you did back then, whatever I did back then, God is saying, I want you to know that if you come to me, I forgive you. I'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so when we come to God, God says, here's the thing. Can you, can you confess, can you accept my forgiveness, and can you receive again the covenant relationship that I have with you? And can you understand that when God forgives you, he's done with it. He's done with it. God's not going to keep bringing up your past so that he can use it to control your future. That's not God. God says, I have forgiven you. I've released you. And now I want you to receive the covenant of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ for your past sins. Now let's go to Ezekiel 17. We're into the third chapter now of the five. Look at verse one. Then this message came to me from the Lord, son of man, give the riddle. And tell the story to the people of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. A great eagle with broad wings and long feathers, covered with many colored uh, plumage, came to Lebanon. He seized the top of a cedar tree and plucked off its highest branch. He carried it away to a city filled with merchants, and he planted in a city of traders. He also took a seedling from the land and planted in fertile soil and placed it beside a broad river where it could grow like a willow tree. It took root there, and it grew into a, a law, uh, a low, excuse, excuse me, spreading vine. Its branches turned up toward the eagle, and its roots grew down into the ground. It produced strong branches and put out shoots. But then another great eagle came with broad wings and full plumage. So the vine now sent its roots and branches toward him for water, even though it was already planted in good soil and had plenty of water so it could grow into a splendid vine and produce rich leaves and luscious fruit. So now the sovereign Lord asks, will this vine grow and prosper? The Lord says, no. I'm going to pull it up, roots and all. I will cut off its fruit and let its leaves wither and die. I will pull it up easily without a strong arm or a large army. But when the vine is transplanted, will it thrive? No. It will wither away when the east wind blows against it. It will die in the same good soil where it had grown so well. I hadn't planned to say this, but I feel like I'm supposed to say it. Back in uh, the summer of 2001, God had given me a prophetic word for Ted Haggard. And I sat in a car with Ted on the north end of town uh, in the Walmart parking lot of all places, because that's where he wanted to meet. I alerted my elders and my wife, just so you know. And I sat with Ted, and I said, Ted, God has spoken this to me, and he wants me to share this with you. And I don't know if this is from him. You're going to have to confirm that. And this was five years before it all came out publicly. And when I got done sharing my journal entries of everything that eventually came out publicly, five years later, Ted confirmed that it was true. And I said, Ted, you can get help. You can get help. You can go and you can get help and God can restore you. 
And now here we are, 22 years later, and Ted is still running and still trying to figure it out on his own. He had to be let go from one church, let go from a second church. Now he started a third church, and he can't figure it out. Listen to me. Ted's no different than the rest of us. If you keep running from God, you're going to keep creating disasters because of your unwillingness to stop and recognize that it's only God who can heal your past. Only God. Only God. Only God. Only God. God says, I'm going to send you into bondage because you refuse to be satisfied in me. What you learn from chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter, what, what we learn from this chapter is that God does not take kindly to us ignoring and taking for granted his blessings to us. Number two, God does not allow us to continue to prosper in his name and keep chasing after other gods. Pastors included. Number three, God sends us into judgment when we refuse to steward his blessings as from him for us. So how do we live restored? Number three, we accept God's consequences for our sin. I just want to invite you today to say to the Lord, Lord, I accept the consequences of my sin. And then add this. And could you please have mercy on me? 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 Listen, right now is a moment in your life. And this moment may pass you by. And like Ted, you may be running from God 22 years from now. This is a moment. This is a moment. And God will send people to you because he loves you that much. And God will reveal your sin to other people, not so that they can uh, brag about it. Let me just tell you something. You ain't lived until you carry the weight of somebody else's sin. Oh, it's a wonderful experience. It's one that, that I begged God never to give me again, and he's given it to me again. And see, God calls each of us in his kingdom to do what he's asked us to do. And it's not because one's more important than the other. It's because he's asked you to specifically be in the network or relationship that he's called you into. God, I accept it, but please show mercy. Ezekiel 18. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Why do you quote this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you'll not quote this proverb anymore in Israel. Look at verse 4. For all my people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. And this is my rule. This is God talking. The person who sins is the one who will die. Look at verse 19. I'm sorry, back up to verse 18. But the father will die for his many sins. What, you ask, does the child pay for the parent's sins? No. For the child is what 
For the child does what is just and right and keeps my decrees. That child will surely live. So here's the point here. God wants you to know that the generational sins of your family have not doomed your future. Amen? Amen. The generational sins of your family, the things that have been done to you, the things that they've done, the things that carry on from generation to generation, they have not doomed your future. You say, who has? You get to decide. You get to decide. You get to decide. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was an alcoholic. He was abusive. He was divorced uh, four or five times. He was in prison, and, and he beat my dad most of my dad's childhood. And my dad got to decide. Now, thankfully, my, uh, my dad's dad that I talk about in the Good Pastor book, Paul Ralph, he's the one that taught me how to ride a horse. He came back, and he became, at least to me, a great, great granddad. And he learned. And yes, there are, there are moments that will pass that you will not get to redeem, but there are moments in your future that you can redeem and the choice is yours. Amen? Do not live with the mindset that you are cursed by your lineage and by your ancestors. You get to decide. Jesus Christ died on the cross, so you decide whether you want to follow him or not. Amen? Amen. Look at verse 23. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? This is God talking. His answer, of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. That's the heart of God. God's not up in heaven just waiting to zap you. No. No, he's actually waiting up in heaven very merciful, hoping that you'll get a clue that I'll get a clue. Every one of us will give an account to God. And God will not listen to our excuses. He will not. Because he will have given us more than ample opportunity to respond. Amen? These are tough. Verse 31. Put all your rebellion behind you. Find yourselves a new heart, a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. You say, well, then what does he want? He wants us to turn back and live. God wants you and I to repent and live. So how can we be restored to him? Number four, turn back to God and live. Turn back. You go, yeah, but I've done so. No, just turn back. But I, no, no, you don't understand. Turn back. I, I'm just not sure I can't. No, you don't understand. If you don't turn back, you're just going to do more of the same. Now, it's not enough just to want to be restored. You got to have the courage to be restored. You got to have the courage to be restored. When I sat with uh, Ted in that car 22 years ago, I could tell he wanted to be restored. He kept asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? I go, no, you don't understand. This is the weirdest thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm really concerned about you. 
And his words back to me right before I got out of the car were, Kelly, if it's not me, God will use somebody else. Well, that's true. And we're seeing that. But that doesn't have to be your story. That doesn't have to be your story. You get to choose. You get to choose. And I don't care how important you are in the community or in the world. God is not going to let your sin go unchecked. God will address it. God will address it. This is the analogy that God uses. The she in this passage is Israel. And what's interesting is the cubs, and we're not going to take time to read this chapter. I would encourage you to read it later. The cubs that are mentioned in this chapter are the kings of Israel. God wants all of us to know it doesn't matter how important you think you are. He's not impressed. God's not impressed with your importance. You say, what is he impressed with? Your repentance. And God offers you something that you have to choose. You say, what is that? Forgiveness. And there is no forgiveness without repentance. There is no forgiveness without repentance. Amen? Amen. Verse 12. He says, but the vine was uprooted in fury and thrown down to the ground. The Desert wind dried up its fruit and tore off its strong branches so that it withered and was destroyed by fire. Now the vine is transplanted to the wilderness. See, now we've come full circle. What's happening here is that vine that he spoke about in chapter 15. Now here we are. It's being transplanted to the wilderness where ground is hard and dry. See, there will come a point when God will take his hand of blessing and he'll pull it back and he'll let you drift into the wilderness of your life. And you will drift into some of the driest and hardest ground of your life. A fire has burst out from its branches and devoured its fruit. Its remaining limbs are not strong enough to be a ruler's scepter. Go back. I want you to see at the beginning of this chapter Ezekiel 19.1, the subtitle, A Funeral Song for Israel's Kings. Seeing this funeral song for the princes of Israel. Chapter 19 is about a funeral song of judgment on Israel. They refuse to repent. And so this brings us to this last point. And I want to ask you the question before I give you the point. What song do you want sung at your funeral? What song do you want sung at your funeral? So how can we be restored to God? Number five, determine your funeral song now. I spent some time thinking about this, and I don't expect you to have an answer. Maybe you do, and that's great if you do. But I spent a little time thinking about what would I want the song at my funeral to be called? And here's what I came up with. I want the song at my funeral to be called, My Life Reflected 
the melody of God's goodness. My life reflected the melody of God's goodness. What's your title? What's your funeral song? What do you want it to be in your life? And I would encourage you. I would encourage you this week to think about this. I'm young. (laughs) I got news for you. You may not be here when the old people are still around. It doesn't work that way. And any of us in this room have a promise of tomorrow. None of us. We have the gift of today. And I would highly encourage you to say to the Lord. Yesterday I was at a memorial service. Uh, Marty and Cindy Rower's daughter, Jessica, who've been sick with cancer for many, many years. She went to be with the Lord. Uh, we were just spending some time together. Jessica was, she was one of the first vanguardians of our church. She started coming to Vanguard in 1998. I've known Jessica for 25 years. I stood at her casket yesterday with America, who is her daughter. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? And America, I said, America, how old are you? I had, a, I had one of these senior moments, Steve, because she was three when she came here. Of course, Vanguard's 26. And she's, I said, were you 23? She said, I said, are you 23 now? She said, I'm almost 29. I was like, wow, I'm getting old. And it was a moment just standing there, just thinking about Jessica's life, thinking about Marty and Cindy, their faithfulness. Marty is one of the elders of our church, and they've been faithful servants uh, of the church. And they'll probably hate me for saying this. They faithfully served the homeless community uh, for the past decade or so in our city. And I think about their song. I think about their funeral song as a family. And I bring us to this moment today. Jot down some thoughts. Jot down some thoughts on how you want this to end. And it'll affect how you live the rest of this story. Amen. Come on. Amen. If you want to be restored to God, live as if every day is your last. And one day you're going to be right. One day you'll be right. This past week, and I'll close with this because I think this is kind of cool. This past week, I had a pastor in Missouri contact me and said, Hey, I just want to let you know that... uh, uh, there's a pastor in Montana. And I thought, huh, you mean the state where I hit the elk last summer and got to the lowest moment, went back to the death of my mom, relived the past 25 years of sorrow of my life? Huh. He said, they want to buy 125 copies of the Good Pastor book to give to 125 pastors across the state of Montana. Oh. You mean the state where I hit the elk? Yeah. Where I was angry? Yeah. Where I was like, God, what are you doing? Yeah. 
Yeah, that state. Listen, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And our little church right here is going to now influence 125 churches and pastors across the state of Montana. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. When Ted said to me, who do you think you are to confront me about my sin? I said, my thoughts exactly. But God Almighty has sent me. And you better listen. Because I don't have any authority. And I am nobody. But he's somebody. And he's in control of all of us. And I would highly encourage you. Listen to what he has to say. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is true. It will go forth. And it will not return void. And Lord, now we want to enter into a time of calling for response. We're going to call for baptism today. And this is an opportunity for each one of us who claims the name of Jesus that's never publicly followed Christ in believer's baptism. As I read in my devotions this morning in in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, John, I want you to baptize me. And we are to follow his example. And that was a public declaration that he belonged to the Father. The Bible says that when he was baptized, that he came up out of the water and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him and a voice that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. God wants to do that in all of our lives. And that's what baptism is. And today, maybe for the first time in your life, you'll say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you arose from the grave. And Jesus, I give my life to you. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you were infant baptized. That's great. That was your mama and your daddy and your grandparents and your uncles and your aunts saying, we dedicate this child. But this is you dedicating you. That's what believer's baptism is. And so today, may God give us the courage to respond if we've never followed him in believer's baptism. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you guys stand with us? Everybody in the room, just stand with us. We won't take long. But here's what we do at Vanguard, if you're new. We invite you to come. Miss Amber's here at the front, one of our staff. And she's in charge of our baptisms and the process of helping you write your testimony. And if you want to follow Christ in believer's baptism, we want to invite you to come down. And as you come, we're going to celebrate today. And that might weird you out and freak you out. But if the Holy Spirit is calling you, come. Come on. Anybody at all? The first step's the hardest. Anybody? All right. 
I'm a fan of the awkward moment. Anybody? Come on. Just a few more seconds. If the Holy Spirit is moving over your heart, this is your moment. Don't run any longer. Anybody at all. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, this moment has been sealed by your Holy Spirit's presence. And God, we pray that every one of us have been obedient to the prompting. And if we have not, Lord, that we would keep short account on it. And God, that we would take this step of baptism if you're calling us to it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.